Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Low Blassingame. I am your host, and I am here today with Christiana Kimmick, our wonderful producer. Hello. And we are on episode 14.5 and 15.5 because... <laughs> I don't know why, because <laughs> we because num- we've numbered them that way, and it makes sense. Well, see, it made a little bit more sense whenever we were doing a guest interview, yeah. and then and after the episode, and right. now we're kind now of we've... having to squeeze the numbers. Yeah, because we've we were worried we weren't going to have enough content. Now we have so much content that we, we have to that our numbers game is off. Okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna call it. It's fourteen point five and fifteen point five. That's the damn episode. <laughs> And we're sticking to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of the episode, okay, so who did we have? We had Bella Baskin and we had Dak Blassingame. And Ashley Lowe Blassingame. And, well, yeah, because I host them. Right. But it was kind of like a marriage talk. It was awesome. It was a marriage talk. <laughs> we, we had like a full session, let's be real. <laughs> I did. It was, we, we, we talked ourselves through a session. You I did. Someday. A conversation with me will not be a therapy session today mm. or any no. day previously. It's not, it's not that day. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I can't imagine something not going that direction just I, because I feel like it's inherently in you. Wait, so I asked this mom for um, in a mom's – I'm in the South Orange County mom's group on Facebook and I, I was asking for toddler uh, soccer like group recommendations. I can't even, I'm so like not attuned to this that I don't even know how to say it. So I asked her for, I asked everyone for soccer recommendations and this mom starts telling me that my kids are too young for soccer (laughs) and uh, for like soccer teams or whatever. like a league. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. And, uh, I, I responded, can you tell me more about that? (laughs) Like I just wanted to understand what she was saying, and I looked at, I posted this. It's like, oh my god, this is just brutal. I love it. Can you tell me more Can about? You, tell that? me more about that. <laughs> tell me more about what you think about that. It's just in you. There's, there's no way, shape, or form around that. Oh my god. But that's what my makes you children. you. No, your children are going to be great. They're gonna I don't be even nice do therapy adjusted. for a living. But maybe you, I mean, I'd say maybe you should, but I kind of like you doing what you do now. I can't. It's too much. No, that's how I feel. It's too much. I'd, I'd probably get too personally involved. No, I just get, I just get burnt. I just get burnt and I like the different thing. I like all the different things that I do. So, so for those of you who um, have never had the pleasure of meeting Ashley in person, what happened to me today, whenever we walked into the office to <laughs> do a podcast recording, we sat down, put our stuff down, said our hellos, caught up on the week and everything awesome that's been happening. And Ashley therapied me <laughs> completely on accident. I say on accident, but it's just a flow. She yeah, said, today was a legit. Today was pretty legit. Legit therapy. I've been struggling with a certain personal situation, and it was kind of heavy. I on pulled my out mind. a notebook, so then she a pulled, notepad. Yeah, a notepad, and she started taking notes. I got therapied. <laughs> I say that in a very like positive way, though. Like I got therapied. Like I feel great. I, oh, good. I feel like I should Venmo you for, no, for today's no, no, session. No Venmo. <laughs> but th- when I say therapy, Ashley does not mean to. 
it's just she starts asking you questions because she just wants to help you clarify and understand. It's just in you. And I feel a lot better. So thank you. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> For our improv therapy yes. session. Good. I feel like the lightness is coming back. Oh, like good. I'm like, oh, I can breathe oh, again. Good. Good. Whereas when I was driving here, I felt like a little heavy. Yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Focus. So what came up for you? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so mad. Oh, my God. Okay. No, I'm going to talk in normal human language. What came up for you when in these episodes? Like what stood out for you? (laughs) Okay. So we'll we'll start with Bella's episode since that was episode 14. Um, So we'll go in order. And this is 14.5 and 15.5. Yeah. We're we're a combo. It's a combo episode. Okay. We should put like a Big Mac and fries on our episode artwork. I don't subscribe to McDonald's. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's right. Big Mac is McDonald's. We can put a veggie burger in fries. (laughs) And that'll be our combo. (laughs) Um, So with Bella's episode, I mean, what an incredible story. Someone who, you know, has gone from struggling with her own addiction with substance use. Yeah. And then now owning this amazing company, Bless It Bag. Such a good idea. Wow. Like I I told her. Such a good idea. So I used to work in Costa Mesa, which is in Southern California. This is eons ago before I worked for Lovely Lion Rock. And I there were a lot of homeless people that I would drive by on my way to work on a daily basis. And then I did outside sales. So I drive by a lot of people, you know, on the streets. And I actually, I had a friend whose brother was homeless at one point. And so I found out about like, Hey, what are some things that they might need, you know, to kind of help them out on their day to day? Like, so I wasn't, you know, passing out money because I'd heard, you know, it's not very good to give money, like, you know, bring them food or whatever. And so I would put together these little Ziploc baggies with like some hygiene stuff or whatever, but it was really time consuming. Right. To like have to go and put the bags together. Yeah. Remember to oh, keep yeah. them in my car. I mean, on top That's of a lot. work and all this other stuff. So I, I eventually stopped doing that. I think I did. You made it for, your own blessed bags. I did, but and this is obviously before blessed bag. And I'm sure I'm not the only person, you know, who had, had that idea before. But you know, it. I think I did that for about three months. I had Ziploc baggies in the back of my car, and I would pass them out. I'd say, "Hey, what do you need? Do you want food, or do you want a hygiene bag?" Or, and they'd tell me what they wanted and I'd pass them out. And yeah, it eventually stopped. And it was just because, you know, life yeah, I mean, is that's hectic. A lot. And yeah, it's a yeah. lot to remember to keep that stocked and, yeah. you know, go to the store and buy everything. And and so seeing this idea, like whenever we fe- we met her and, and found this out, I just was like, wow, this is genius because I could literally do the same thing. And all I need to do is go on her website Click a button. She's order actually it. they're on Amazon now, so you can. Which is like my favorite which is thing ever. Even better. I saw this thing online where someone's husband gave them an Amazon birthday cake, and it's like a an Amazon package, but it's a birthday cake. Ooh. And I was like, "That's my life. That is genius. Genius. I mean, because that Amazon. just means happy day. The- <laughs> that just means happy. I'm like, oh, Amazon packages here. I'm so happy. Um, pretty much every day. So <laughs> I refuse to go to the store. So she is on. They are on. Blessed bag is on Amazon. So you can order from there. So that's super awesome Even to be simpler. able to like hand out that stuff. And I love that they included dogs. That I there's a dog know. bag. That's really smart. Oh, it's so really, sweet. Really, really smart. And a good people. way. You know, it really addresses the fact that many people want to help, but they feel that handing money is not 
part of what they how they want to contribute. And so right. then they contribute nothing. And actually, this is my favorite part. All of it is very great. Blessed Bag is very great. But my favorite part of Blessed Bag is that your donation also goes to the charity of your choice. Right. Which I think is super cool because then you're also, it's, you know, you're, that's attractive on a lot of different fronts. But I want to tell a really quick story because it's super funny. So Christiana came in one day and she was, we were just talking and she was telling me about her. <laughs> this is why I was laughing. I know where this is going to get. She was, this is why. <laughs> I was dying. Oh my God. So she's oh, telling me about God, this is many eons bad. ago where she was helping homeless people, which is exactly a Christiana thing to do. And me and my pregnant friend, by the way, it okay, was just yeah. that this was not through an organization. Were, we literally just, they were helping. Yeah, they were going down to what? like, you know, some skid row and helping, you know, people who are homeless and people who are in gangs. And she talked to some guy, it's a long story, but she talked to some guy and she came back the next day by herself to ha- help him. And she's telling me this story in the office. <laughs> and she goes, and I walked in. I almost walked in on a gangbang and I, my eyes just saucers. Okay. And she's like, yeah, it was about to happen. I just walked in and they stopped. And I was like, oh my God, how do you know? Like, who was the, how did this happen? What like starts asking her questions and come to find out what she meant was, (laughs) what she meant was that he was like, like they were like gang bangers and they were going to like stab someone or they were going to hurt somebody or they, they were, were going to shank somebody. Yeah, I yeah, know what that shank means. Somebody. But you said I walked in on a gangbang and I on the street and I literally was like, oh my God, do you need counseling immediately? Because I need counseling just hearing this story. So anyway, every time she talks about homeless people and when she's telling the story of driving by homeless people, I can't help but think she told me she walked in on a gangbang on the street. I had stopped <laughs> them from murdering someone is what actually happened. But I thought that gang, like if you're a gangbanger, then when you're going to assault someone and it's gangbanging, <laughs> you're doing a gang. I, I didn't know. <laughs> you can see where I'd get that a little messed I up. Think, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it's too so good. So Ashley laughed at I, me for about 15 minutes. And I, then I, I still, mean, I still, it still haunts me. Definitely didn't. Like, I didn't know. I was really concerned. <laughs> it was really was- <laughs> What he had said was someone had stolen my stuff and I'd grabbed a bunch of my buddies, which like 10 people, and they were going to go kill him. Like, right. 10 Not yards from where I was at. Him. And I was like, you get over here because you said that you wanted some help and I've come here for you. And like, oh, geez. And like, I got like really strong with him because we developed a relationship, me and. Mike was his name. Your gangbanger? My gangbanger. <laughs> I'm, uh, I have a lot of life experience, yeah. but there's some things that I oh, just Oh, no, it's so good. Know. Well, in Dax's episode, he said he was saying, there's a weed for that. There's a weed for that. It's like, a weed? Dax, is that not what it is? I mean. A weed? Like a, There's weed for that. There's oh. like, like a marijuana. Like, it's just, it just <laughs> sounded really... It sounded really, really and uh, Dax in the know detached <laughs> from from pop culture. Anyway, so I just want to tell a story because I think it's so funny. Yeah, um, everyone can laugh at me. I'm totally fine with your, that. Your Ashley gang for sure did. Can't stop laughing about it. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, if we're being real. Um, 
So, yeah, so that was really cool. And, you know, Bella, what she's done with that and been a- being able to go from, you know, it's it's a lot to take an idea from a really great. It's one thing to have a really great idea and it's a mm-hmm. another a whole other bag of tricks to bring it to market. It really yeah. is. And having done it, it's it's a big deal. It's a lot of work. And so mm-hmm. that's really cool that she's done that. And, you know, her story is, I, I don't know. I, I know what I thought. What did you, what did you take from her story? What were the things that stood out for you? Well, I definitely heard a couple of things. One of the things that stood out to me, she had shared she's adopted yeah. into her family. They're, yeah. you know, uh, an entrepreneurial family. Baskin Robbins is is what her, I think it was her grandfather and yeah. her uncle started. Mm-hmm. And uh, her, so. Yeah, her great uncle. Her great uncle. Baskin. Mm-hmm. Or I thought that was her grandfather. Oh, yeah. And then her uncle's Robbins. Maybe. Maybe. We'll look it up. But she shared that she grew up in an affluent family. So meaning she had all of her financial needs She was adopted of. into an affluent family. Right. And so she talked a lot about how, you know, I think what was interesting for, I should say that having worked with people who are in recovery or struggling or in rehab over the years, there have, there are a lot of adopted kids, a lot of adopted kids Mm. who struggle with substance use disorders a lot. And I think some of that is the feeling that, you know, that their parents couldn't take care of them, gave them up, whatever that is. There's a lot of internal pain and struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And Bella I think that was a piece of her puzzle, her self-esteem puzzle, and also the way that she found out was really terrible. That was horrible. That was really sad. I mean, there's. I know I have a, a, a friend that I dance with who she has a, I think he's six, a six-year-old boy that he knows he's adopted. They adopted him literally the day that he was born. And they're an incredible family, super loving. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's, like, with him all the time and has been, like, like worked with him on, like, attachment issues from a very, very young age. Um, and she's shared some pretty intimate details about the things that he's struggling with right now as a six-year-old yeah. on rejection. And, yeah. and just how it's, it's very much felt. That void is felt. And how – and she's struggling through, gosh, like, how do I – yeah fix this for him. Yeah, yeah. How do I work through this and let him know? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that it would be a huge struggle. It makes sense. It's a very, it's something, I I can't relate to it, obviously, but I've, I've been around it a lot, you know, and it's an interesting perspective because from my perspective, being a parent, when you adopt a child, you want that kid more than anything. I mean, you have to go through Mm -hmm. hell to get, I mean, you have to go through hell to get a baby that, naturally too, but um, it's neither here nor there, but you are picking that child, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you, you are not picking the child that's born to you. And so, but that's, that's an adult concept. That's not a, that doesn't, wouldn't feel that way through the child's eyes, but that is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so I can just imagine, I mean, Dak and I have talked about that and I can just imagine trying to express how much you love the child that you've adopted while also understanding that the child feels like the people that, you know, their parents gave them away. And I mean, it just, that whole, that whole mind game would be very, very difficult to process, especially as a little kid. I thought it was really interesting too, how she talked about how just because her financial needs 
were right. met. Were met. It doesn't mean that her emotional needs were met. Yeah. And that that's a while, big thing. I mean, it's amazing. It is a good, like a really good thing to have money. It's a good thing to have it's all of your needs helpful. met. It's very helpful. A roof over your very head. Very helpful. Food. You know, you're yeah. not having to worry about that aspect. But and, it, and there are a lot of other really great things. You know, there are a lot of other very convenient, helpful things. There's no question. Mm-hmm. But as she talked about. It didn't, you know, she said, I would have rather had my mom Mm -hmm. home with her. She was seeking that connection. Yeah. She was wanting that. And that's what she felt like she was missing. It was a very powerful thing to hear from her. I think at least for me, it was not that I didn't think that to begin with, but to hear her say, yeah, I had all these things and there were lots of, you know, people hired help around, but I would have rather had my mom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it was about that that really stuck with me, but it did. It really stuck with me. Like... Maybe it was thinking about my own children, like what they, Mm. when I think I'm providing, you know, these extra things for them, like what is it that they really want? What is it the little kid really wants? You know, they want attention from their parents, love and attention and affection from their parents. And that, I mean, that's true. That, That really matters. And she was very clear about that, which I thought was good and indicated that she's done a lot of work on it. Yeah. And I love how even speaking about how she found out she was adopted. Oh, and, for the love. And if anyone hasn't listened to the episode, she was, I think, five years old and she had a friend that came up to her and said, you're adopted. Yeah. And and, and Bella didn't know. She had no clue. She wasn't told yet yeah, by and, her parents. That means she, they, it said like that means your parents didn't want you or something. Yes. And so she talked about later in the episode how um, I know we've talked about EMDR a lot yeah, here on that the podcast. Yeah, that helped a lot. And yeah, she did the EMDR and she said what it did was it recategorized the trauma. So instead of being, oh, there's something wrong with me, I'm not wanted, I did something wrong, it recategorized to that person's not very nice. Yeah. And she shouldn't have. Yeah. She shouldn't have. So, so, you know, big fans of EMDR here, big, Mm -hmm. big, big fans. Yeah. And it's always fascinating to me to hear people talk about you know, hiding their addiction and and being in their addiction and being able, you know, she went to school and being able to camouflage such serious addiction. And it's a real important reminder that just because, you know, someone has all of their ducks in a row, so to speak, they're in college or they're, you know, they're moving forward with the normal life milestones that, you know, society has, has deemed normal does not mean that they're not struggling significantly with some sort of substance use disorder. I mean, for real. And she mm-hmm. she was in college struggling with heroin and and she reached out to her father and detox and all these things. And, you know, it struck me that how many, it struck me how many people don't know what's going on in their children's lives and how it might look like, oh, they just have some depression or, oh, this, you know, this is going on. But people, just because you have your life together just because, you know, it looks that way does not mean that you don't have a serious problem. It doesn't take being, you know, homeless, living under a bridge with a brown paper bag to have some sort of substance use problem. Absolutely. And I mean, you're, you're definitely somebody that understands that, you know, in your story, you talked about being very high functioning. You made amazing grades. You were I mean, until I wasn't. Sports, until you weren't. You know, right. I was high functioning very early on, but I was not high functioning at the end at all. And I know a lot of people who were high functioning at the end. Mm. <laughs> I was so not high functioning at the end. Just, I mean, losing my hair, not being able to show, just mm. really a nightmare. So I 
I did early on, I was able to hold it together, but I see a lot of people hold it together to the end. Wow. And that, that amazes me. I mean, there's not a chance, not a chance I could have gone to college while I was using at all. I was completely incapable of going anywhere at a specific time. Mm. So when people are able to do that, just amazes me. Another thing that I thought was really neat in regards to Bless It Bag was the fact that in recovery, we talk about a lot, you know, being of service Mm -hmm. is a huge part of recovery. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, wow, what an amazing idea that, you know, she's, she has this background where she said, you know, she went to CalArts. She's super creative. She is a photographer for SNL. Incredibly creative. She does like costume design. And and I think that's what she actually went to school for. Yeah. Um, You know, she does design to some aspect. I mean, just very, very talented. And she quit her job in order to do Blessed Bag. Yeah. I mean, and really grow it and make sure. And this entire concept of being of service is actually completely built into her company. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, can you maybe talk to me a little bit more about like how beneficial that is to someone who's in recovery, having being of service be a part of not only their life, but their job that they're doing and how yeah. that would affect it. Yeah. So a big part of recovery, so a big part of addiction is that all you think about is yourself and your problems and your addiction. It's all about you. You're the victim. You're the star. You're the hero. Like everything is about you. You're so, we're so self-obsessed. And there are many reasons for that, which don't matter. The important pieces that you spend you know, however long you're addicted for, just consumed with self. Mm -hmm. And a big piece of getting sober and changing that and being in recovery is getting outside of yourself and thinking about others. So when I first got sober, I was told to call other people and ask them how their day was, not talk about myself, ask them how their day was. I was taught to go and be of service. I was taught to put my grocery cart back after, you know, I was done using it, not just leave it on the curb. All these things that were about being a contributing member of society as opposed to a taker, because I had always been a taker and Mm -hmm. I'd always been concerned and obsessed with self. And just because you take away drugs and alcohol doesn't mean that goes away. So we are, it says in the um, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about um, we are self-seek selfish and self-seeking to the extreme and the way to get out of that is to do things that are focused around helping other people and that can look a lot of different ways i know a lot of people who do a ton of service to other alcoholics they show up for them they drive them to meetings they take them to treatment they you know all sorts of different things for me what's been interesting about this process is that because i work in recovery and I talk to people about recovery and I'm inundated with recovery all the time, a lot of the ways that I like to be of service are things that are not related to recovery just because that is an outlet for me. It still does the same thing. I'm still getting out of myself, but it gives me a little bit of break from the topic, Mm. which I know can sometimes be, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to Mm. be. And I know people in recovery struggle with that. That's why I say that is that if you're, you're, if you work in the the field and, you know, you're encouraged to be of service, but you talk to people all day long about getting better and getting well, it feels like your job is to be of service. And 
being of service is supposed not supposed to be something that you're paid for. Like it's supposed to be different, right? Because the paid for piece is still about you. Mm, that's good. So um, I bring that up just to say that, you know, sometimes um, I have gone and walked shelter dogs to be of service, gotten up and gone and d- done that or brought mm. blankets to, sh- you know, just something different, but I'm still participating in helping others, thinking about others. And it becomes a way of life. It becomes a, you know, you do start to think that way. You start to get curious about other people, get curious about where you can be of service. And that takes you out of that self-obsession. And the self-obsession is the piece of you that often leads to negative thinking, to what's wrong with me, what's wrong with them. I'm a victim. I'm a perpetrator, whatever, whatever the thought process is that leads you towards wanting to anesthetize um, through drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, whatever it is. So getting out of yourself is an incredibly important piece and being of service is an incredibly important piece of recovery. And, you know, this blessed bag is a really wonderful example of that. Yeah. So if you guys uh, want to support Blessed yes, Bag. Yes, please, please do. Please go on Amazon order yeah. some bags. Yeah. Or? Just look up Blessed Bag. Mm-hmm. Um, B-L-E-S-S, it bag, B-A-G. And also check out uh, Bella Baskin's social media, her Instagram. She's got a big following. She talks a lot about exercise, meditation, recovery, travel. And um, she has a lot of her creative stuff on there, which is, she's very, very talented. I've been watching her creative stuff for a long time and she, it's really fun to watch. She's very, very talented. Awesome. Well, we should probably shift gears and talk about you and Dak. (laughs) Now, this was a cool episode. This was, so I want to ask you a few questions in regards to that. I want to put you back in the hot seat, just like we did in your, in your episode one, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So this was Dak's episode, but I'm calling it Ashley and Dax episode because this turned into like marriage therapy slash a very real session on what recovery looks like, the good, the bad, the frustrating, the struggles in recovery, Mm -hmm. Um, which I've been married for 12 years. So I know marriage is awesome Mm -hmm. and I love my husband. Shout out to Raj, but it's difficult. Oh yeah. It's really hard to be married. Uh, you have to be very deliberate about a lot of things, and there are amazing things that come with it. The added layer that I don't have in my marriage is the recovery layer. So this was particularly interesting because me and Roger have walked through some some pretty tough paths since we've been married and been able to come out. But hearing what you and Dak have had added onto with the recovery piece was just mind-boggling to me. One of the things that stood out in my mind whenever I was listening to you guys talk, I mean, among many things, we'll, I'll have a few questions to ask, but one of my questions is, I mean, can you talk to our listeners a little bit more about, you guys had talked about, okay, what's our relapse plan? So something happens to one of us. What happens? Like, what what does a conversation like that look like? Yeah, I mean, you heard a little bit of it there. I, you know... I, we've had the conversation a couple times. It basically goes like, hey, listen, you know, we, we have to talk about this relapse and we got to figure out like what's our plan. And I don't remember, I, we've talked about like two or three times and I don't remember how that comes up. I'd like, I don't, 
I couldn't tell you why, um, but it has. And it basically goes, you know, hey, you know, you understand that you're in charge of the kids or that it's your job to take care of our children if one of us relapse. And we both say yes. And then we talk about like, okay, you know, I'd, I'd contact your family and and we try to get you help and, you know, we'd keep the kids away from seeing that. And because it could look like a lot of different things, having that, like if DAC used or if I used, it could look very different depending on what we used and how long it happened. And if we need, you know, there's, we don't talk about the exact details of it. I think given that we are so embedded in the recovery community and in the treatment community that we would have an incredible wealth of resources for either one of us if something were to happen. But, you know, as I said in the episode, there is something that is, I do not totally know how to explain the feeling of saying to somebody, saying to your husband that they, like, you have to protect our children if I do this. And what's weird about that, not to say that I think that that's going to happen, not to say that I'm planning that, but it's the admitting to myself and to another person, this, you know, my, my husband, that I have a disease, a mental illness that could have me drink against my will, have me use against my will. That's weird. That's a weird concept. Even as a professional, even at knowing everything I know, that's crazy. I mean, it is wild. And it's really scary to think about. I know people who've lost their children and and I don't want my children to ever see me that way. So part of it coming out of my mouth is like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to make sure of that. And then the other part of me is admitting that if I don't take care of myself at the level required for me to stay sober on a regular basis, 13 years and a half later still, that I am susceptible to this reality. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's painful. That's painful. I, I want I want to pretend like that's not real for me because I've been sober this long and I put together this life and I don't want that and therefore it shouldn't happen and all those things. But the truth, if we're being honest, is that we have to recognize what it is. So that's tough. And I don't think he feels it quite <laughs> quite so deeply. You know, I don't think he, I don't think he, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, he and I are very different and he acknowledges things, but he does not, you know, I feel very deeply, like immediately, he does not enter into a thought and try to take it to the depths of it. It's just not him. Um, He can and he will, but not, not unless he has to. I remember when I was pregnant with the twins and like, it wasn't until like, I swear, three days before, even, you know, he's talking to them, he's playing music for them when they're in my stomach and like, you know, he's engaged. But I swear to you, he didn't, there was like a light turned on like three days before and he was like, oh my God, I'm having kids. <laughs> and then we go to, the, you know, and then we, I can't remember, we had some conversation where I was like, you do realize I've been pregnant for <laughs> nine months, right? Like, what did you think was happening? Um, you know, and then, and then he, and then it happened, right? And he was just like, but I think there's just a, 
like a delay of emotion there. Whereas I'm experienced as I'm saying these things, I'm thinking to myself, this can't happen. This yeah. can't happen. So that's a really long answer. That's you. a great answer. I think it's very relevant because there's there are a lot of people out there who are finding their relationships in recovery. And especially as you have kids, it further complicates in a good way. It further complicates things. And you have to think about not only your future, but their future as well. And so thank you. I forgot to say this. I wanted to say thank you to you guys because sitting there, I almost like wanted to, as I'm recording it, you know, and watching you guys and testing sound levels, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a personal conversation. I almost felt like I was intruding in someone's personal, like living room conversation. Right. You guys were so willing to be open just on a whole other level. And it was just so amazing and very eye-opening in a wonderful way. And it, and your relationship is so hilarious and so beautiful <laughs> because of it. And so unique. It's just very Ashley and Dak. One of the things that you both had talked about was that you got sober differently. Your sober support looks different, you know, on, on a few different levels. How can you talk to me about how you two, you went into it a little bit, but can you talk to me a little bit deeper about how you two can support each other and do support each other through seeking different types of support in sobriety? I think that we've had to recognize the difference in our addiction in our and you know in our substance problems and in our recovery i mean our both are quite different we obviously belong to the same 12 step program which is actually which is where we met but you know he has had the experience by his own you know testament that he that all you know his desire to drink and use were removed from him and that it it was never an option that he you know it was immediately not an option and you know he worked the steps early on in his recovery and that was enough for him for many years i mean he just it was just much less challenging for him to stay sober than it was for me i mean it has been a challenge for me to stay sober for 13 and a half years for real. And I always thought I was doing something wrong when I would hear people say, you know, I'm I the desire to I came into, you know, recovery and the desire was removed from me or they say I was struck sober and like meaning like I just I was, you know, I don't know, I woke up one day and I was just able to not drink or you know whatever it was and I I just don't relate to that. That was just not my experience. And I really was thought I was doing something wrong because why were all these other people like Dak having these experiences where they, it just like went away for them. What I've come to understand is it's just a different thing. You know, we just, it's, it's just different. But like I said in the episode that the solution for us comes from the same place and how the support that we need has shown itself to us over time, meaning I found the right sponsor for me and I found how much work, how regularly I needed to talk to her and how many times I needed to work the steps or how many times I needed to go to therapy or how many times regularly I need to be of service or, you know, all the different components of my support to my sobriety, I was able to find through my support network and the people around me that I've stayed tight with in my sobriety. And same for Dak. He has found his group and they, you know, 
found what works for him and what's kept him sober for 16 years. And, you know, I have to remind myself that we, you know, sometimes I want to say, oh, you're not doing whatever it is. And that may not be what he needs, you know? So it's been, it's hard to not get involved in your partner's sobriety (laughs) when you think they're not doing it right. Sure. Especially, especially when you feel like the consequences, the stakes are so high. They're so high. Yeah. So to stay in your own lane when the stakes are that high is very hard. I mean, on top of working your own sobriety. Yeah. On top of building a life together and other aspects too. Right. Like you see them doing stuff and you're like, that's not a good idea. And then you start to get afraid that they're going to relapse. And then you Mm -hmm. start to think about what their relapse means for you and your kids or you and your family. And that is a scary thing. And you're supposed to stay in your own lane, you know, to not get involved. And, you know, I shared that I did reach out to his support group and say, like, I think he's struggling. I think he needs help. And and it turned out to be a good thing. I know people who've done that and it didn't go so well. So it's not a, it's, you know, it's not a foolproof thing. And everybody needs to figure out what their recovery looks like for them. You know, I really do think, I really, as I've gotten older, do not believe one size fits all. And I think that this is just another example of that, that you take a, a, a framework that works for you and whatever that is. And I mean, there's lots of programs other than 12 step, there's life ring, there's celebrate recovery, smart recovery. I'm going to refuge recovery. Thank you. Refuge recovery. They have, you know, just there's a female, uh, she recovers, I think is another one. We can put some into the, uh, into the show notes. There's a lot of different options, a lot of online programs. I mean, there's really a lot. And you find the framework that works for you. I mean, people hear on here a lot of 12-step stuff because that works for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you find the framework that works and use that and tailor that to what it is that that you need that's going to keep you sober and help you achieve your goals. And so I try very hard to recognize that his goals may be different than mine. You and Dak met each other in your early 20s, right? So... We met the first day I moved from, I was living in Prescott, Arizona, and I moved to Orange County. And we met September 1st, 2006 at an AA meeting that my friend Emily, who's been on this podcast, took me to because I moved in with her. And he had a commitment at that meeting, at the talk show meeting. And so I met him there. That was the first time I met him. I don't we didn't have much interaction. And then I picked up a commitment at that same meeting and had that commitment for however long, gosh, I don't even remember, and maybe six months. And then we didn't see each other for a while. And he reached out when I was coming back from Spain. Wow. So you guys have basically grown up in sobriety together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you got sober. You've never yeah. so had I a met, drink. So I met him when I was eight months sober. Wow. So now you're 13 and a half years sober. Mm -hmm. I knew you guys had talked a little bit about in the episode and touched on some things about how your marriage, how your recovery plan, your support system, everything kind of shifts and changes as you grow, as Mm -hmm. you get older, as you, you know, have kids, even as you grow in your marriage, you know, you, you do, you go from your early twenties to your thirties, you become a different person. Yeah, you really do. And so it's just in life, 
without recovery, you have to it's make ha- changes. It's hard. It's you hard. make changes with friends. Yeah. You grow out of, you know, some friends or some relationships or people. So I can only imagine how that might further complicate things working your recovery. So can you tell me a little bit about what that's like and and is there anything specific you guys have had to go through or work through in just growing just in life and as people? Yeah. I mean, I think the model for dating is terrible, right? Because the the things you pick out in a person when you want to date them, you know, are they good looking? Are they, you know, whatever, whatever they are, um, the things that immediately attract you to someone are not the things that in 50, 40, 30 years are going to be the top of your concerns. So, it is a little bit of a farce in the sense that when you start dating, the things that are going to be important to you in 10 years are going to shift and you have to be able to shift with them. That's hard. It's really hard. And Dak and I started dating when I was 23. He was 27 and I was a few years sober. And, you know, I was a young girl. I was a young girl. And and Dak was Justin Bieber. And Dak looked like Justin <laughs> Bieber. Oh, my God, that haircut. We should put a picture Oh, uh, we should. It we was should. so great. Dax had some – yeah, let me tell you about going through marriage. <laughs> Dax haircuts. Anyone who knows Dak knows what I'm talking about. He has had some of the most ridiculous haircuts over the past 10 years. And I've always – I said, you're such a good-looking person. Why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> and me. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, 10 years, there's a lot of like the business of life. You have to, you run a business together Mm -hmm. and that business is your life. And people pick, you know, they want romance. They pick romance, the hot, steamy romance. And all that stuff is important, but really the majority of what your life is going to look like together over time is going to be running a business together, a business of your life. The bills, the house, um, divvying up how to get the housework done, who's going to pay what bills, what bills to pay in general, how to spend the money, what, how, you know, what's important. Do the kids need religion? Do they not? Do they, you know, just like who's going to pick up the dog crap? You know, like, do we take the kid to the hospital? Whatever. Like just stuff you're like, stuff that is not sexy and romantic <laughs> at all. And that's the majority. That is the majority, yeah. right? So you, you, you really have to love the human that you're with, like the real, the human part. And I, you know, love that about Dak. I love, I, you know, I, I loved the human where we can spend, Dak and I can spend a ridiculous amount of time together without stopping. And it doesn't mean we're interacting. I just mean like we can, we've, you know, gone on vacation or gone, done things and we're around each other and for, you know, just a long time. And it doesn't, you know, I know people who just are like, get me away. I can't spend this much time with anybody. And there's just an ease there. And we have worked really hard to be able to communicate and divvy up the housework and talk about how we're feeling and respect how we're feeling. And we have had standoffs and I have moved out to prove a point. And we have, I mean, you know, there's lots of stuff that's gone on. There's lots of stuff that we've worked through and, and a lot of up and downs. And I think the thing that has kept us together over the past 10 years is the fact that we were willing to communicate at a really deep and honest level, really deep. I mean, we have had some tough conversations and Neither one of us, you know, even when I moved down the street to my best friend's house, (laughs) 
I said, I love you and I'm not willing to live in this house while this is going on. And that I'm not leaving you, but I'm not living in this house. So I'll be down the street and you let me know when you're ready to make the changes that need to be made. And that's what I did. And those, the willingness to stay in the relationship, but also not put up with bad behavior or behavior that didn't work for me. However, you know, I think both of those things have happened, bad behavior and behavior that wasn't necessarily bad behavior, but just wasn't going to work for me and vice versa has been the key to our relationship. Because for all, if you took a look at who we are, I mean, Dak grew up in Houston, in a suburb of Houston, Texas, in Sugarland, Texas, in an entirely different world than I grew up in. Completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, we eat. We 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 can't eat at the same restaurant. I mean, I, we we literally eat the. Which sounds like a little thing, but it's a big it's deal. It's really big. hard. And we, you know, we didn't grow up watching the same movies. We don't, you know, not the same language. Like it is so different. It's so different. So the the piece that's been able to bind us is the fact that we've both done a lot of personal work and been able to have difficult conversations and been willing to stay even when things were hard. And that's the mark of true character. I mean, really, like in the uh, vulnerability that you guys have is just so evident in the episode. I mean, it's at, at some points, it's like, like I was saying before, it's like, oh gosh, like I'm almost like I'm listening in on a conversation yeah. I shouldn't be hearing because you guys were willing to really openly share a lot of things that a lot of people weren't, you know, just in regards to communication, your faults, your weaknesses, things right. you said, things you didn't. You guys both just laughed through it. And I think that really speaks to the work that you both have done yeah, and that you continue to do and uh, for yourself, for your children, for your families. And, um, you know, just so insightful. You know, I don't want to be miserable. That's that's kind of what it comes down to for all of my life, which is that I don't want to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be angry. And I spent a lot of my life like that. I spent a lot of my life really angry. And anger is like a weighted blanket on you. And when it's lifted, you don't ever want to put that back on. And uh, and I remember when it was lifted. I remember, you know, I was a really, really angry kid, angry teenager. And I remember in my late teens, you know, 18, 19, when that anger was lifted. And I don't ever want to go back to that. And so I have to, if that's my goal to not be unhappy, I have to work really hard when things don't go my way, which is pretty much every day. And, (laughs) you know, I have to work hard. And one of those things, one place where people allow things to get really unhappy, and I get it, I, I, I I have been there, is their marriage. Because it's really easy to hate that person. It's really easy to blame that person. It's really, and it's so hard to be the recipient of their bad decisions. I mean, Mm. that is one of the things, the hardest things is like, well, you made this stupid financial decision. Why do I have to pay for it? You know, (laughs) and and that's, but that's the deal. Like, that's what you get, you know, or you, whatever it is, whatever, you forgot to bring the kids sweaters and now it's my problem that everyone's cold or, you know, it's just, I mean, it's, Everything from very serious things, taxes and other things, and to, you know, small things of like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't, he didn't want to bring the stroller, so now we have to carry the kids or whatever, which is one of my pet peeves. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you that's what you sign up for. And so it's really, really 
easy to slip into this place of like, you're the problem. And sometimes that person is the problem and it makes sense to leave. And I am, I, I do not advocate for people to say in unhappy situations. I just work really hard to try not to get to that point where there's no other solution because that's that's what I don't want. So instead of one of the ways that I do that is, and that you heard in the podcast was, you know, he said, well, I think you're still resentful. And mm-hmm. I could have brushed that off or moved past it or cut it out of the conversation or done a lot of other things, but I don't let stuff like that go because when he says stuff like that, that's coming from somewhere. That's a belief that's indicating to me that there's something going on. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what he means by that. And because what we clarified, what ended up being clarified from me just saying, no, let's talk about it. Like, why do you think that? Mm -hmm. Was that the difference between resentment is this ongoing, you know, kind of festering anger (laughs) versus like, no, when that topic comes up, it makes me unhappy. Like it annoys me that that happened. I'm, why should I feel good feelings when that happened? But I don't think about that when I look at you. I don't like hold it against you. It's not an everyday thought. You know, it's not festering. Mm-hmm. And the resentment is much more festering and under, you know, under the surface. Whereas this is something that happened that I don't like and that's okay. I'm allowed to not like it. And that's different than a resentment. And so, you know, then I get to, in that moment, I get to dispel this idea that he's carrying around thinking I'm resentful at him because that's what he was telling me. Mm -hmm. He's telling me, Ashley, I think you're resentful at me for, you know, me losing my job. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, no, that was a really unpleasant time. And I get, I have the right to feel that that was unpleasant, but I'm not angry at you. Mm -hmm. And then, we go on from there. And so it's really honestly a selfish effort for on my end to not be in an unhappy life. Well, I mean, I I agree with you. And then I disagree with you on that because I, you guys, you're an amazing person. I know you so well. And you, you, yes, I think the goal just in life in general is to keep unhappiness away, especially given, like you said, growing up angry. But you two are incredible, and um, I know you much more, much better than I know Dak. But um, what I've seen out of him too is just—he's an awesome person as well. And yeah, you guys are unbelievable parents, super dedicated to the, your kids and each other, and the care that you have for each other, and the unselfishness that I've seen out of both of you is so beautiful. And and I've you know I've been able to watch you two grow together too. I think I came on around that time. Mm-hmm. Dak you did, lost yeah. His job, yeah. Because uh, I was helping him with his resume That's right. and stuff, and you did. And so, you know, I got to, you know, kind of be a little up close and personal mm-hmm. within that journey, and and um, just to see what you two have been able to work through through that and grow through that has been, I mean, really awesome and difficult, and but the end result has been very beautiful. Do you have, as we wrap up, do you have any advice suggestions for people who? are married, in recovery, maybe if you could give two pieces of advice. I know I'm putting you kind of on the spot. Maybe a piece of advice for people who both parties are in recovery mm-hmm. and maybe just need some encouragement to keep going. Yeah. And then I would say the second piece would be 
if someone's in the marriage and only one person's in yeah. recovery. Yeah, so yeah. maybe they're feeling like That's a little a bit common. alone. Yeah. Could you give some encouragement yeah. to both types of people? For sure. You know, the, the advice is going to be very similar, which is the harder you work on yourself, the better it will get. And you may not feel like it's getting better. You, it may drive you further away from the other person, the better you get, but your life will get better. The more you focus on you, the better you make yourself, the better it will be. I promise. And sometimes things need to fall apart to fall together. And Mm -hmm. that's just, that's hard. That's really hard. And you have to remember that when you get sober in a marriage, the person that your spouse married was drunk, was a drunk, was, you know, untreated alcoholism. They didn't marry a person in recovery. So that is a shift for them, even though you think that it should be a happy shift for them. They should like this. Mm-hmm. You have to remember they, are, they, they came to the relationship for a different person. Yeah. So you're point. asking them to be in a new relationship with a new person. And even though in our heads that means it should be better, it isn't always for them. That's not always the person they wanted, even when they said they, even if they say they, that's what they want. Something about you not being in recovery worked for them. And that's a hard shift for people. So if you're struggling with that, don't despair. That's very common. I highly, highly recommend getting a mentor or a sponsor who has been through what you're going through and has good advice to be able to guide you through something like that. That's the beauty of of community who's sober is that there are people who've been through what you're going through. And if you interact with your community, you will find those people and they will hold your hand as you go through it. And they will give you wonderful advice and show you that there's life after getting sober in whatever capacity that looks like. So again, I just, my big thing is the harder you focus on yourself, the better you get, the better things will get. In terms of, you know, what the differences are, for someone in, you know, two parties in recovery, one in recovery, you know, to a couple that's in recovery together, I highly encourage talking about what's going on for you and and just being open, you know, hey, I'm really struggling with these thoughts, or this is what I'm doing in my recovery, or, you know, I heard this at a meeting, isn't that interesting? Just doing the kind of recovery connection, like connecting on on that level, um, talking about it, because there is, it's a reminder that you both have that connection and that same language and reminding, you know, even in the dark times, it's nice to, you know, hey, like I was thinking about this or, you know, hey, just kind of connect at that level and remind each other that you have that, it's that you have this piece. And if your spouse is not in recovery, I really, really encourage you to find people that you can connect on that level with. And not to try to convince your spouse who's not in recovery what the problem is that you've changed. Explain. I think the times where I see people really struggle is when they're trying to explain to the spouse that's not in the program what the program is, why it works, what's Mm -hmm. happening, that not only is the spouse tired of hearing about the topic in general, like especially if you've just gotten sober, they just want whatever the annoying, you know, difficult things are to stop, but they're not going to understand. They're just not going to understand. They don't want to hear the depth and people get hurt 
when they go to their spouse who's not in recovery and they don't get the response that they hoped for. Mm. So I highly encourage you. It's okay to find, it's okay to have a spouse that doesn't understand your disease. Mm. It really is. It's okay. They don't need, frankly, if I'm being honest, I don't think my husband understands my disease. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, we connect on stuff, but like we don't have, you know, he, he does not he does not understand what it's like to use drugs in the way that I used drugs. You know, there are certain things that are just different and I don't need him to understand that in order for my problems or recovery to be validated. And when I, when I've tried to go there with him, I'm always disappointed because he doesn't give me exactly what I want. So I highly suggest community, finding community, finding people who've been through the things that you've been through, reading books about the topic that you can connect to. There's a really great book. There's one, Living Sober. There's one called A New Pair of Glasses. There's lots of books. We can put some recommendations out there. Read, connect with people, go to some sort of support group, connect with people who understand and just continue to better yourself and things will get better even if you don't see how. Awesome. That's so encouraging. Thank you, Ashley. Mm-hmm. I want to put you on the hot seat a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to put a link to everything that we talked about in the yeah. show notes. So check out the bottom. If you uh, are subscribed to all of our episodes, then you should be able to click on our show art, scroll up, and then that will take you all the way down to our show notes and all of our links that we're giving you every single week. Yes. And I would like to give an Amazon gift card out to someone who leaves a review for our podcast. So please go to Apple Podcasts and go to ratings and reviews, leave us a review and email podcast at lionrockrecovery.com with your screen name that left the review And we will go check and we will pick a person from the reviews to send a $20 Amazon gift card to. So please, 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 again, go to ratings and reviews, subscribe, rate us, leave a review, email podcast at lionrockrecovery.com with your screen name saying you left a review and we will choose someone to be our lucky winner for a $20 Amazon gift card. And y'all know how amazing Amazon is. So you can go and you can buy some blessed bags. Oh, yep. Blessed bag. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you. 